We certainly each are thankful that God has blessed us with the opportunity to assemble and to gather today. And as you have your Bible open, I hope you'll keep it open to Matthew chapter 18. In just a few moments, we will look in some detail at one of the things we found in, in those opening few verses. Children, aren't they delightful? What a great blessing that they are. And you'll notice the title of the lesson is... The Bible's use of children. Maybe you've been a bit perplexed by what will be developed as a part of a lesson with that title. But I hope that as we look at a few points this morning, we'll each be reminded of just how frequently the Word of God brings before us not only the fact of children, but actually teaches us some rather unforgettable lessons with them. To do that, let's first of all make some introductory comments. I myself was a bit surprised when I researched sufficiently to find that the Word of God approximately, if not over, 5,000 times makes reference either directly or indirectly to children. That occurs by the usage of various words such as children, such as youth, such as lad. The point is, the Bible so often makes reference to the reality of children. You'll notice next on that slide, quite often, of course, the Bible's reference to children is with the actual respect to a young boy or girl. But there are many other cases in which the references are not quite like that. And those other ones will at least be some of the ones that we'll consider this morning. To rather get to the point, may I ask, you and I frequently appreciate we're the adults Children are the ones that need to be instructed from us. That is to say, we expect them to listen to us as we teach, as we instruct. How many times in the Bible does it work the other way around? Are we supposed to learn from them? Well, among other things, we're going to look at several instances this morning as a part of our lesson in which God actually encourages us to learn some things from children. Let's start that in the following way. There are several verses that I will invite you to consider with me. And the first one is going to take us to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 23. Just turn a few chapters over from where you now are and listen to this interesting statement that the Master made. Chapter 23 in Matthew, as well as the chapter that follows, are particular circumstances in which Jesus had much to say to the city of Jerusalem. And in chapter 23, verse 37, this is what it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Our Savior lamented over the status of the city of Jerusalem. He was at this point not very long away from the nature of his own death, and yet in these hours prior to that event, did you notice what he said? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! Can you hear the passion in his voice? Can you hear the strength and the fortitude of what he had to say? You, Jerusalem, who kill the prophets and stone them which are sent to you. 
You see, Jerusalem had a history, quite frankly, of rebelling against the authority and those sent by God. And in so doing, Jesus, understanding that effect, quickly said, How often would I have gathered you? Verse 37, Thy children. Now, he wasn't just talking about the little boys and girls of Jerusalem. He was talking about the nature of those citizens in Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you together just as a hen does her chicks? I was going to offer you protection and fortitude, and I was going to offer you a defense against the great evil of the day, and yet you wouldn't come. You had no interest in what I had to offer. You and I know from a spiritual standpoint that the Master came, and He came to bring, of course, the message of life, John 1, verses 5 to 11. And yet when He came to His own, the Jews, His own received Him not. The city of Jerusalem had rejected the Master, and they were about to, in fact, do that even more critically as they put Him to death. But the lesson, of course, out of that is this. Doesn't Jesus teach us something that you and I already know about children? As a child enters into this world, that child is defenseless. That child is unable to provide its own protection. It's unable to provide the things necessary to protect it against the onslaught of the elements of this world. It is dependent upon its parents and, in fact, others to offer that protection. That's easily understood. We all know that so very well. Notice how the Lord used that idea, though, in terms of Jerusalem. I had the information that you, Jerusalem, needed. I had the words of offer of salvation from God. You rejected it. You had no interest in it. I, just like a chick, would gather, just like a hen, those chicks, I would have gathered you. How often have you and I witnessed a hen when there's the slightest bit of danger? She'll call those chicks and they will come. And they will remain near her until the danger is past. She will often, in fact, completely cover them, often sitting on them, covering them entirely with her wings. She is the protection which they so desperately need. The Lord had the message for Jerusalem. Sadly, Jerusalem was rebellious. Just as she had been in the days of Ezekiel, she, in fact, was of an adamant stone in her heart. She thought she knew better. She thought she had the information she needed. May I suggest, in that point, maybe there's an application that wouldn't be so quick to occur to us. The Bible speaks about babes in Christ. Those who perhaps are not to the level of maturity in faith, may we ask this question, is it important for a babe in Christ to feel the presence of protection which that babe is not yet in a position to offer? I think in a moment's reflection, you and I will quickly answer yes because of teaching of the Word of God. May I direct you to verses like Romans 15.1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. As Paul addressed the church in Rome, here was a circumstance in which there could well be individuals whose faith was weak, individuals who stumbled over the reality of days or eating meats offered to idols or other kinds of realities, such as the observance of certain events and days, 
Paul said, in regard to those weaker in the faith, you make sure to receive them with love and with the appropriate respect, and don't you purposefully destroy their faith. You ought to have enough consideration for their spiritual well-being not to do that. Well, you'll notice that perhaps only challenges us in regard to 1 Peter 2.2. 2. A message to all of us. But listen to how particularly it's stated. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. There is that sense in which every one of us are admonished to be much like one of the things that a child does. We'll develop this a, more, a bit more thoroughly in just a moment. But for now, all of us are admonished to desire the sincere milk of the Word. That should be our basis, the thing upon which we stand and that which we utilize to divide and to develop our activities. As far as children, maybe that next verse is the one that I would call to your attention. Children need protection. How often as, as parents have you and I told our children, don't you get in a car with a stranger. Don't you, in fact, confide in and don't you, in fact, trust in a stranger. Because we as parents know what a stranger can claim. They can appear to be innocent. They can appear to say what that child needs to calm his or her fears in that moment. When, in fact, that adult may have sinister motives in mind. And so we're always very mindful to encourage our children in the interest of their well-being not to fall prey to a stranger. Apply that lesson in another way. Those that are weak in the faith, they can be gullible. They can accept some teaching that somebody may claim is from the Word of God and that someone may claim is on target with the things of heaven when in fact it isn't. And this young person in the faith may accept that teaching and walk down a pathway that leads to his or her eternal ruin. You see, just like a child can be gullible, a person young in the faith can be as well. And so those who are elders, those who are adults, those who are more mature Christians, we would in earnestness have a desire that that person might not be gullible with respect to false teaching. But it should be our goal to encourage and instill within them that true teaching from the Word of God. The last thing on that slide is the one that develops this in that way. Jesus gave warnings about this, and it really wasn't just directed to children then, it was to all of us. In Matthew seven fifteen, the Master said, Beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing. Do you note the, the correlation? A false teacher won't burst through the back door with a sign that says, I'm a false teacher. That false teacher will be much more subtle, much more clever, much more covert, and in fact, it may take quite a bit of time to ultimately deduce the fact of what the person really believes and what they are hopeful to teach. That's why all of us must be mighty cautious because they'll come in sheep's clothing and they will come with a desire to destroy the flock, not to help it, not to encourage it, not to move it in the direction of eternal faithfulness. Do you already begin to see how much children can teach us many things? The fact that they need protection reminds us how all of us need the protection God offers. 
But what about a second illustration from children? This one, let's come to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is here that we find Paul making a rather memorable statement again about children. I'd like to read only a couple of verses out of that chapter. It says in verse number 10, But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known." It's easy to see the text of verse 12. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. Every one of us can speak, at least those of us who are adults, we can speak to the occurrence of that. You might remember when you were just a young boy or girl, there were certain things you thought and certain ways you talked, certain understandings at that time that you had. But with the passage of time, with the occurrence of other things, you now know that what I thought then, that's not really the way it was. The way I spoke then is not the way I speak now. Sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it? When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. Let's be quick to say, children can't be faulted for this. As they naturally mature and grow, it's understandable that when they're young, they're not going to talk as adults. It's understandable that when they're but youths, but boys or girls, they're not going to have the adult understanding that comes with years of experience. We can't fault them for thinking, for talking, for understanding like a child should be expected to. But it is in that regard I would ask, what was Paul's point? What was his point? I mean, this is certainly no great revelation. A child speaks like a child. Did you know what was next? But now, I'm sorry, verse number 11, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's easily the understanding that as a child grows, you and I as parents, we know there should come a time they don't talk the way they once did, and they don't understand the way they once did. And quite frankly, we become concerned if that level of maturity is not there. We probably would take them to professionals, to doctors, to others. You see, we understand the need for that maturity. Paul's connection is this, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Paul makes a contrast between what was then and now and what was yet to come. He's talking about the miraculous spiritual gifts. May I suggest that there are quite a few individuals who walk on our planet today who are still behaving like children in this regard. They are expecting miracles in one form or another. And yet Paul says that was then. Now we see face to face. We shouldn't anticipate then God's going to work spiritual, miraculous gifts now the same way He did then. We live in a different age. That time has come and gone.
to the point we might well, in fact, appreciate this. There are those today, and you and I have perhaps seen them, televisions who, in fact, show us various things that supposedly occur where individuals with religious power, or so they say, will heal someone who is ill, heal someone who is infirmed or sick in some way or another. When in fact the Bible makes this statement, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Might we take note, three of the miraculous spiritual gifts are listed as representative of the whole, and Paul says they're going to vanish They will all pass away. It was not the plan, the will, the intent of God that the existence of them be permanent. In Hebrews chapter 2, we have a, a more thorough description of what their purpose was. Might I invite your attention to Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 4. The Hebrew writer, in making reference to these, described them in this way. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. Did you note verse 4 with me? God bore witness. How so? With those signs and wonders. The purpose of those miracles in that day and time was to provide the witness to the credibility of not only the message that was being spoken, but to those who were speaking it, that they were of God, that they were emissaries of heaven, and that this message was believable. After all, they didn't yet have the completed Bible. They didn't have the 27 New Testament books that you and I have. And therefore, those miracles provided the necessary authentication. Maybe it is in that connection. It takes us back to 1 Corinthians 13. Did you notice? Paul said, when that which is perfect has come. What was the perfect thing to which he referred? Might we take note, he was not talking about Christ there. Jesus was not the thing perfect. The Hebrew language, rather the Greek language, points out that the word perfect refers to the masculine. It refers, if you please, to the characteristic of the completed Word of God. I said masculine, I meant neuter. It does not have a masculine character like you would expect of Christ. It's the completed Word of God. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Aren't we thankful then that we can learn from this, that those miracles were compared to the age of children? You and I allow live in an adult age where there are no miracles like that. Maybe it is in that regard. You and I can close that slide and say, the perfect thing that's described in that chapter, the thing that's now come in such heightened beauty is, of course, the element of love. 
Now, there are about a three, Paul said, faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. The third thing we can learn, it seems, from children takes us to this consideration. It's the lesson text that we heard read in our hearing just a little bit earlier this morning. Would you look back to Matthew chapter 18 and listen again as verses 1 to 4 are put before us. At that time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What a memorable passage. To develop a few points from it, why don't we begin like this? There were a few occasions in which the disciples, that is to say those closest associates to Jesus, we usually would call them the apostles, there were a number of occasions when they found themselves in discussion about who was going to be the greatest. I've listed for you in Matthew 18, 1, that was the scene here. But this is only one of a few others. In fact, there is at least one occasion when they were quarreling among themselves. Listen to me. They were actually in a bit of a dispute among themselves as to who was going to be the greatest. In fact, in Mark 10, 35 and Luke 9, 46, the time even came when John's mother came to Jesus and said, I've got a question for you, Lord. I would like my two boys, James and John, one to sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. She wanted her sons to have places of preeminence. She wanted her sons to occupy positions of rather notable place in the coming kingdom of the Lord. You may recall that Jesus, in answer to her, as well as an answer to James and John, had some very interesting and strong things to say. But for right now, may I ask you to picture what Jesus did on this occasion. Verse number 1, they ask, Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Don't you know Jesus could directly have taught a great sermon? He could have impressively spoke dramatically about what kind of attitude was needed. But that isn't what He did. Verse 2 says, Jesus called a little child unto Him. Can you picture it? On this occasion that the Lord was teaching, at least at a distance, there were some children. Jesus said, come here. And this child responded. And Jesus sat him right down in the midst I've often wondered, did Jesus set this child on his own knee? The text doesn't say. It simply says he set this child in the midst of them, where they all could see, where they all could witness and watch and experience and learn. And then Jesus said this. If I may paraphrase, I'm telling one and all of you, he said to them, unless you become like this little child, unless you develop the characteristics incumbent and necessary in this child, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. 
That's strong, isn't it? And what an object lesson it must have been to see this child. And no doubt, these adults looked upon themselves rather notably. We have been by the Master's side for all of these months. We've learned so much. And now the Lord brings a kid before them and says, unless you become like him, you're never going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. I could almost imagine a silence fell over the group. I could imagine a hushed essence of respect must have fallen over them, as Jesus said. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven." The title of our lesson today is The Bible's Use of Children. Look at how Jesus used a child on this occasion. And might I ask you to notice the insistence that the Lord utilized. Every one of us must be like that little child. Every one of us must behave in some way, according to Jesus, like that little child. Otherwise, we will never enter heaven. We will never be able to live pleasingly before God. Let's develop some of that in ways like this. At this point, you may wonder, based on verse 3, what did Jesus mean? Except you be converted and become as little children. You and I might remember on another occasion, Nicodemus was confused about something similar to this. Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, in essence, that's not what I'm talking about. On that occasion, it's this. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. This time, though, Lord, what do you mean? How must I become like a child? Please note verse 4 with me. Whosoever therefore... Note the word therefore... The word therefore, again, often brings this realization to us. It should cause us to wonder, what's the word therefore? Well, here's what it's therefore. Whoso shall humble himself as this little child. The Lord was talking about humility. These disciples were quarreling amongst themselves about who'd be the greatest. They were looking for a name for themselves. And Jesus said, humility is required. Lowliness of spirit is demanded. And unless you, like a child, are willing to have that attribute, then you will never be pleasing before God. I've invited you to note a few particular verses. In our dealings with children, isn't it true that on many occasions they manifest such an air of humility? Now, I know that isn't universally true of every child, Because sometimes a child is brought up in an environment where the parents instill within him or her that he or she is the greatest thing that ever walked on earth. And by the time they get to be a teenager, they're going to be a problem for dad and mom. And they're going to be a problem for their teachers. And they're going to be a problem for almost anyone else that deals with them. But if a child is brought up with an understanding that they are to obey dad and mom and they are to submit to their authority they will often have such an air of humility. Though they may be skilled and educated, and though they may understand many things better than they think they do, 
they nonetheless will act with such humility that would appear to be the nature of this child. And Jesus instilled that upon all of us as well. How humble are you and I? Do we make of ourselves more than we should? Do we demand that others proverbially bow before us as though we are the only thing that matters? We must be mighty cautious about that. And it's easy to see the way in which this will bar one from heaven. If you or I are unwilling to submit to the authority of God, just as this child would submissively react to his or her parents, then you and I can never be saved. What was it Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you and I poor in spirit? Or are we arrogant in the sense that we think that we don't need the help of God, we don't need the help of Christ, and we can make our own way through this life and what will follow it? If we aren't poor in spirit, Jesus said we'll not be able to entertain the hope of heaven. Look at some of these additional verses. The Bible even points out on many occasions how valuable this sense of lowliness of spirit is. In Colossians 3, verses 9 and following, specifically verse 12, we notice there that as Paul listed these powerful and good attributes of the Colossians, he said, clothe yourselves with humbleness of mind. Now in the ancient world, the city of Colossae was a rather notable city. Maybe it would have been easy to lift themselves up with an air above those that were their surrounding cities, and yet to that congregation, Paul wrote, clothe yourselves with humbleness of mind. Today, how do you and I conduct ourselves? Do we humbly bow before the greatness of the Word of God, or do we seemingly lift ourselves above it, almost excusing our disobedience to it? There is no excuse for our disobedience to it. Maybe one final thing on that slide. Pretentiousness. That's again something that at least in many children you just don't see. They aren't pretentious. They'll tell you exactly what they perceive as answer to your question. They don't try to deceive you. They simply say what's on their mind. Have you ever been around a child like that? Sometimes as parents they can embarrass us because some other person asks them something and they'll say exactly what happened, the way it happened, and what they heard dad and mom say about it. Sometimes one has to be rather mindful that, again, that's an interesting way to behave, isn't it? Sometimes that reflects rather interestingly on the conversation in our houses, doesn't it? When someone asks them and about the church services, and you know, they have a lot to say about the sermon the preacher brought and the singing that the song leader led us in, you see, they listen pretty well to what we have to say. And if we don't have much to say positively and notably about the church, should we be shocked that our children don't look on it too highly either? Jesus said, unless you convert in humility and become as this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I hope each of us are reminded that our sojourn in this life is one so marvelously that must lean upon and rely upon the God of heaven. 
Did Jesus say, Apart from me, ye can do nothing, John 15, 5. It is at that point we come to the closing part of the lesson today. And as we close that that particular slide, only one more. And I save this one to last. There's something about the diet of children, and you and I noted it in passing earlier, but it's time to use the Word of God to even look more carefully at it. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and listen to this statement the Hebrew writer made using children in such a very interesting way. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he, here's our word, is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you can see on that slide, children, you and I know it well, have a rather special diet. A lot of milk. For at least a number of months after they're born, they take in milk and that milk has within it that which they need for nourishment, for growth, for development, for maturity physically in the body. But did you notice that here the inspired writer isn't just talking about what babies eat. He's making the application to Christians, to individuals. And he says in verse 12, The time should have been the case by now. You should have been a teacher. But you're still in need of milk. He went on to say, you can't handle strong meat right now. And for that reason, the previous verse, verse 11, had pointed out that there's some things I can't preach to you that I would like to. I've often wondered, I wonder what would have been a part of that sermon that they didn't get to hear that they should have been able to hear. But the point is, they were not spiritually developed. They were still babes in Christ when by now they ought to have been far more mature. On that slide, it's really an interesting question for each of us individually. Where do you and I stand in this consideration? If the Lord could address me directly today and you, would He say, by now you should have been a teacher? of the Word of God. By now, you should have been thoroughly grounded in this and so strongly supported in it. But the fact is, you're still weak. You're still immature. You are a babe in Christ for all practical purposes. And you'll note the sadness that all comes in verse number 14. What would have prompted that is you have it exercised. As Denise and I have watched little Hallie and her growth, you know, she's always moving and exercising. And that's what, of course, prompts the development muscularly and of the bones in her body. What about you and I? We're taught in 1 Timothy 4, 8, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. It isn't saying that physical exercise is bad, but there's something more important. How much exercise are you and I getting spiritually? Are you doing calisthenics with the Word of God? 
Are you and I involving ourselves in every opportunity for that faith to be extended and to be nourished and to grow? Do I attend every single service, including the Bible studies, wherein that Word is opened? Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4 verse 4. How am I doing on this? Surely it is a powerful question. If I'm like a child in that regard, that's not a good thing. In fact, it's going to cost me eternity in heaven. As you and I close that slide, there's an unequaled place of the Word of God. And how many things these children have taught us this morning. Let's close our lesson then like this. May I suggest four quick things. We've learned from children the value of protection, and that even includes the protection of a baby in Christ. We also saw the place for the behavior in regards to not speaking as a child, thinking and perceiving that way when it comes to the miraculous gifts. Thirdly, the characteristic of humility and how needful it is. And finally, this most recent one in terms of taking in the pertinent matter of the Word of God and growing in it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Today, if there would be anyone in the audience that perhaps a child has insisted that some changes need to be made in your life, we'd be desirous to help you, to encourage you in what way we can. If you are a person that's never become a Christian, you must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have become a faithful child of God, but as of today, you have strayed from faithfulness, don't you know the Lord wants you back faithfully at His side? And if we could pray on your behalf as you make confession and repentance, we would be delighted to do that. If we could be of help, won't you come? All together we stand and sing.